you have your Bibles, if you'll open up to Colossians chapter 4 tonight. Colossians chapter 4 will be in verses uh, 7 through 17. Probably not your typical sermon text. Most people that, as I was looking at sermons on this particular, not many people preach these last Last bit of this text, um, it's you know a list of names. Most of the time we just skip over uh, a list of names. But there's something that is so important for the church to grasp from, from this text. And so I would ask you to, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. And um, we will begin in verse 7. And I, I'm going to go ahead and apologize, apologize up front if I butcher these names. Uh, but they are how I know how to say them. And so that's what we're going to go with tonight. So... Uh, Beginning in verse 7, Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you about all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that he that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for all those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, I pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would get me out of your way and that your words would permeate into the depths of our hearts and that we would be radically changed and set on fire with a passion for your glory that would extend beyond our own homes and beyond our families and into this community and into the nations, Father, that you would be exalted because of the life that we live before you, that we would be fellow servants on mission with you for your glory and about your purposes. And Father, I pray tonight that you would just grab us and arrest us with your Holy Spirit and that we would be taken by you for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was, I I couldn't think of any just genius idea of how to introduce the sermon tonight, I'll be quite honest. So I want you to think about someone you know who has been a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, a a great, maybe a great encourager to you, 
somebody you know that you can call upon to just go before God in prayer, someone who has lived their life for Christ. You should think about that, that person or those persons for just a moment in your own life, someone who has just given themselves and, and just made their lives all about making Christ infinitely known and infinitely valuable to everybody that they come in contact with. Now, I want you to ask yourself, will people know me? Will people remember me in that way? Will they know me in the years to come when I'm dead and gone? Will they remember me as a faithful servant? Will they remember me as an encourager to the body of Christ? Will they remember me as a devoted prayer warrior? Will they remember me that I fought the good fight? I finished the race. I endured to the end. I fulfilled the ministry that God had called me to. Will they say that about us? What will be the legacy that we leave behind? I would present to you tonight that what we have in Colossians 4, 7 through 17 is exactly that. The legacy of men who gave their all. And, and, and there are numerous men that are mentioned here in this text and, and one woman. But I'm, I'm going to focus on just uh, four of those men tonight. <clears throat> and we're going to draw some, some ideas about it. But in verses 1 through 5, we see that Paul has extended an invitation to join him on mission with God. So that the gospel of Jesus Christ would flourish into all the nations. And... Brian, I thought did, I think that was his name on Sunday. Brian did a great job Sunday, I believe, of exhorting us and, and piercing our hearts with God's word that we would not just be participants in the church, that we would not just participate with God in what's going on, but that we would devote our lives for God's purpose for his church. Um. Today we're going to look at men who did. Tonight we're going to look at men who did devote themselves to God's word. And, they, and Paul's and how they fulfilled uh, what was lacking in Paul when they came beside him and helped him out. Um, what I want us to see is that all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, God's chosen, God's elect, we all have a place in, in ministry. And we have an invitation to join Jesus in ministry. Um, if you don't believe me, we can go all the way back to Genesis. And God says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Again, in Genesis 11, be fruitful, multiply, or in, verse, in chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, Jesus invites us as his disciples to go on mission with him. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. Come on mission with me and do the work that my Father has called us to do. And so, um, from the youngest here to the oldest here, we all have work to do. We've all been called on mission with God. And so the theme of our message is that each of us ought to be on mission with God as we minister together here at Lakeside 
and to the church beyond our walls and into the nations. Okay? And so we can do this by first being faithful in our service. Secondly, by being an encourager to the saints here and beyond. Thirdly, by laboring in our prayers for one another. And then finally, by fulfilling our ministry. And so we're going to look here, first of all, at our faithful service in verses 7 through 9. Titicus, will you tell all about my activities? Notice what is said about this brother. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul understood that he would never accomplish the mission of taking the gospel to the nations by himself. He needed help. If the gospel was going to flourish among the nations, he had to have people that were going to come alongside of him and help him. And he was dependent upon those people. This man was one of those men. Paul was dependent upon him to be a faithful servant. In the context of the book of Colossians, this uh, Tychicus was in charge of taking Paul's message to the Lycus Valley. He, along with Onesimus, uh, went to Colossae. They went to Laodicea. Uh, They went to the church at Nympha's house. Now remember, Paul is currently in prison. And so this man is with Paul in Rome, in prison, and and Paul has given him this letter and saying, take it back to the Lycus Valley. Now there's a lot of desert and a lot of water between where Paul was and where Colossae was. But he was to take this letter. It was no easy task that he was to do. Um. Reminds me a lot about going to Peru. There's a lot of air, a lot of land, a lot of water around there to get the message down there. But it's what we've been called to do. Um, The wording of the text here is identical to Ephesians chapter 6, which some believe that he was responsible for taking Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Notice what Paul says about him. Uh, He was a dear servant. He served Paul in many capacities. Wherever Paul needed him, That's where this man was. He was with Paul in Greece. He journeyed with Paul to Troas in his third missionary journey. He went with Paul to Jerusalem to take the money collection from the Gentiles to those who were in need. Uh, Paul sent him on a mission to Ephesus in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Uh, Paul later planned to send him to Crete to take Titus' place there. Uh, he was an interim pastor. He was a messenger. He was to Paul whatever Paul needed him to be. And yet, we don't know a lot about him. He never sought to be Paul. He never sought to have the recognition that Paul had. And so these words mark him well. He was a beloved brother. He was a co-worker with him, a brother in Christ. He was a faithful servant, which means that he was reliable to do the task of serving that Paul needed him to do. And and he was a fellow bondservant, which means that he spent time in prison with Paul. But all three of these descriptions of Tychicus are joined together in one phrase. Prepositional phrase, in the Lord. He was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He didn't do it for his own gain. You see, everything that he did in his service was so that Christ would be exalted, so that the gospel would be furthered. He didn't do it out of duty. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He served Paul and the church in the Lord. He considered his work for the Lord. 
not for Paul, not for the people that he was doing it, but unto the Lord. And that's how so many of us we have got, we have to understand that our service in the church is not unto the people that we're serving. Because if that's what you're looking at for your reward, it's going to be disappointing at the end of the day. Our service is unto the Lord, and he had this proper perspective. You see, God, and, and I love this because, you know, God never called us to be successful. I was just talking to Randy about this the other night. God didn't call us to be successful. God called us to be faithful. And the only way we're successful is if we're faithful. You get that? God never says in all of Scripture to be successful. He says, be faithful to my word. Be faithful to my flock. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. If we're going to be called faithful, church, speaking the lakeside or wherever you may go to church, you've got to be here. I mean, we need you as a church. We need you. We, we, we need you to be the pig that Brian talked about on Sunday that's devoted, that gives his whole life for the church and not serve in any area of ministry so that you get your reward from that, but that you get your reward from the Lord. We have to do it unto the Lord. The church doesn't need half-hearted Christians, but ones who are devoted, ready to faithfully serve wherever they are needed. Willing to go on the mission. Trash needs to be taken out. Bathrooms clean, Randy. Errands need to be, to be ran. Phones answered. Children's ministry. I'm just going to make a plug for our great brothers that are working out there and sisters that are working in the children's ministry. Hey, that has to be done. Those are our children. They have to be taken care of. And it is our responsibility to be faithful servants in every area of the church, not just where it satisfies us. You, you, you see me up here preaching. I was out there last week, and that is an uncomfortable place to be for me. I don't know how to relate to first through fifth graders or whatever it was that was in there. It's like, how do I take that stuff and put it down here? But you know what? It was a great opportunity. And, and I'm just going to share with you, there were some great theological questions coming out of our children's ministry that just blew me away. But we have to be willing to do whatever it needs to be done to get the job taken care of. All of us have spiritual gifts. We're all to exercise our gifts for the edification of the church. I mean, we're told that in Scripture, right? But here's the thing. Not all of us have the same gift, but all of us, listen, all of us are called to be servants. All of us are called to be servants. We are to have the attitude of Christ that we, came, we come to church to serve and not to be served. So, so I would ask, what is your attitude when you walk in here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday night? Is it, what has the church done for me lately? Or is it, how can I serve the needs of this body? See, that's what we need. That's what the church needs. is for people to be willing to lay down their lives to serve no matter what. Look at verses 10 and 11. Our next thing here, our next calling is to be an encourager. Uh, we look at the life of Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you. Um, and it goes on to <clears throat> talk about here, talking about Mark and, and uh, justice and talking about how, you know, among fellow workers. And then look right before verse 12 and verse 11, it says, And they have been a comfort to me. Now, we know Barnabas, his name just 
it means encourager, right? So, I mean, when, all right, that brother's got that taken care of. That's his gift, and he knows how to do that. But let's look at these other, let's look at Aristarchus. I mean, he's associated with the town of Thessalonica. Um, he was with Paul in Ephesus when the riots broke out there, and, and that time, and he was captured, and, and because of his association with Paul, he was thrown in prison. And then when Paul sets his face like flint to go toward Jerusalem in, in order to persuade his countrymen, Aristarchus is with him. And then you may know the story from Acts 21 and following that Paul's arrested and, and he's headed to Jerusalem. And in Acts 27, we see when Paul gets on the boat to head to Rome, guess who's with him? Aristarchus is right there with him. And, and, and he goes on that journey with him all the way to Jerusalem, or excuse me, all the way to Rome. And it's very likely that Paul's words here, my fellow prisoner, gives a great detail into the life of Aristarchus. He was a fellow prisoner. Wherever Paul was in prison, he was there with him. He was going to be by his side to encourage him, to lift him up, to, to be that encourager at all times wherever Paul went. He loved Paul. He stayed with him. This guy has a sympathetic heart. And he chose not to leave the side of Paul no matter where it took him. You see, I would imagine sitting in a, in a prison is not a very great place to be. When you're in there for preaching the gospel and you're like, why am I in prison? And so he needed an encouragement. He needed somebody to come alongside of him. Listen. There may be people in this church that are going through things that are very difficult. You don't know what the person next to you is going through. And I promise you, you don't know what the leadership of this church goes through. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be there when things are hard, when things are down for people. We need to be that, that one that comes alongside and grabs them and, and says, you know what? God has told us in his word that he is always faithful. And no matter what we're going through, he's going to bring you through this. To, to grab them and to hug on them and to love on them and to spend time with one another. Not leaving their sides, but keeping them there with us. Showing them the love of Christ. So that when we come in contact with others, they see that love that we have for one another. And they just can't believe it. Why would you give up your money and your time and your energy to spend it on other people? And they would be blown away by the gospel. By the way we live our lives in encouraging one another. So are we comforting one another? How are we doing, church? Are we, are we encouraging our leadership? Are, are we coming alongside of them saying we, we're praying for you, we're supporting you? It's important. It's important for the church. Are we rejoicing when others rejoice? Are we mourning when others mourn? That's what God has called us to do, to be an encourager as we're on mission with him. Next, we should also strive in our prayers for each other. Look at Epaphras in verse 12. I love this brother. I, 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 I absolutely love what this text says about him. Um, be, being a former pastor... This is what just crushes you just underneath of it, is that you would pray like Epaphras. Listen to this. He's one of your servants of Jesus Christ, 
He greets you always, listen to this, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. We know that from Colossians 1 that Epaphras is the founder of the church in Colossae. He has been the one responsible for taking the message of the gospel to that city. We know that now he is in Rome to tell Paul about the false prophets that are bringing confusion into the church. This proto-Gnosticism gospel that was coming in. And so now he's in Rome, but his heart is still with his people back in Colossae. He's one of them. They're one of his people. And it should be the desire for us to care for our own in that way. Not wishing that any would fall by the wayside. We are one family in Christ. And the love of Christ should permeate our lives. He struggled. Listen. Struggled. He didn't say, you know, Lord God bless him. And go on about his life. He didn't have these popcorn prayers He got down and wrestled with God like Jacob did and said, God, I want to see them mature. I want to see them pursue holiness. I want them to be sanctified. And he prayed and he struggled in his prayers with them or over them. It's what Paul talks about in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, that he labors, he toiled to see you completely mature in Christ. That's what we see from Epaphras here in his prayer life. He is a pastor who hurts down deep in his bones to see his flock completely mature. That they would be presented mature before Christ on that day. And he knows the greatest thing that he can do for them is to earnestly pray over them. He's agonizing. He's devoted to them. Listen, he's not praying for their safety. He's not praying that they will be completely healed all the time, that they will be well, and that they'll have a lot of money. That's not what he's praying about. He is praying that Christ would be formed in them. You get that? He struggling in in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. He is praying that God's will would be done no matter what the cost. That they would be purely sanctified. That they would reach that sanctification. They would press on toward the mark that's before them. That's what he's laboring for. He's wrestling. I love what John Piper says. So many Christians nowadays treat prayer like it's a peacetime intercom when God designed it for a wartime walkie-talkie. You see, the problem is we think we're at peace. We think all in the world is good, but we're at war. There is a war being waged for the souls of every single person that is an unbeliever. God wants them To know him. He wants us. Listen church. He wants us. To be fervently praying for people. To be wrestling. So that they would be presented mature before him. So that they would know him. And worship him. God calls us to make worshipers among the nations. Starts in prayer. It starts with our prayer life. So how many of us. Have given up on prayer. 
You know, we sell ourselves short when we half-heartedly pray. We sell others short of what God wants to do in their lives. When was the last time we labored in our prayer time? That it was intense. That we were sweating and we were crying over the souls of the lost. When was the last time we told God, I'm not going to give up until I see my kids saved? When was the last time we stayed on our face before God and said, I'm not giving up until I see my coworker know you? When was the last time we got on our face before God and prayed that people would be filled with this unsatiable desire for God himself and not just what he has to give away? When was the last time you prayed for your elders in this church like that? Where we were broken over the lack of participation. That we were broken over the lack of evangelism in our community. When was the last time we prayed like that? What about our missionaries? Many people say that God doesn't answer prayers. You know how I know that? Because we spend so little time praying. If we really thought God answered prayer, we'd be on our face every day praying. Because our actions when did show what we actually believe, right? Let's labor in our prayers. Church, I want to encourage you. Labor, struggle, so that the person sitting next to you and across this place from you would be presented mature before Christ. Because that's the one thing that matters. Our safety doesn't matter. That's American hogwash. Our safety doesn't matter. Our health doesn't matter in the long run. If we're being presented mature before Christ, if He is sanctifying us, He's using everything around us, our poverty, our sickness, whatever it is that we're going through, He's using that to draw us to Himself so that we'll be sanctified. So yeah, maybe sometimes we do need to be praying that people would be knocked on their rear ends so that they would look up and see Christ and know Him. God's will is your sanctification. Just answered how you can have your best life now. Be sanctified. Press on toward maturity. Church, are we laboring? Are we toiling? Are we struggling? Are we fighting to see people know Christ? Finally, I want to exhort you this evening. Fulfill your ministry. Look at verse 17. And I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Probably Archippus was ministering in Laodicea. Quite possibly... um, um, Epaphras has gone back 
to Paul and said, hey, not sure what's going on with this brother. Not sure what's happening with him. And so Paul's issuing a, a challenge to Archibus here. He's given us this laundry list of men who have been faithful to the ministry and they've, they've given up and they've put others before themselves. And, and now he comes to Archibus and he says, Archibus, take heed. Be careful. Look out for yourself. Watch out, Archibus. Watch out. Guard your heart. Don't be lazy. Take heed to the ministry that you have received. God has given you a ministry. Church, God has given us a ministry. God has called us to be on mission with Him. He has given it. It has come from God Himself. We need not be lazy. We need not let sin come in and ruin us, ruin our opportunities, ruin our to just, just take us and shred us apart and make us disqualified for the ministry that God has put on our hearts. We don't want this church to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. And God doesn't either. So he says, take heed to the ministry that you have received, that God himself has given to you, and he expects you to act upon. There's a parable of the talents being given out. You know the parable? Two of them act upon what they've been given and one doesn't. And he's judged for that. Because he didn't take what God, what, what, what he had been given and act upon. And I think the application for us today is that God has given you a ministry, church. God has given us a ministry. He's given you as an individual a ministry. And it's called make disciples. It's called fulfilling what he has commissioned us to do. Right? Now I'm going to get on a soapbox because I, I, this, is my, this is my hobby here. God has called us as individuals to make disciples. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. Right? And so he commanded us to make disciples disciples among the nations and if we're not making disciples if we're not making disciples in our homes and we're not making disciples in the church and we're not making disciples in our community and we're not doing it among the nations guess what we're disobeying the command of Christ and it's sin Paul says fulfill the ministry that God has given to you church God is calling us to fulfill the ministry is given to us we have a, a great community out here that needs to be reached with the gospel. What are you doing to be strategic to be in that ministry to fulfill the, the, the work that God has called us to? What are we doing? Are we sitting at home saying that's the preacher's job? That's the elder's job? That's the deacon's job? If that's the case, we need to reread what Scripture tells us as disciples. If we're truly a follower of Christ, we need to go back to Matthew chapter 28 and reread that. Because the way I read it, it says, as you're going about your life, make disciples. That's the ministry. That the Word of God would permeate our homes, and that it would go into our community, and that it would go out from this church, and this church would be just a great beacon of light. You know, it's, our church 
physically sits kind of high over here, doesn't it? I mean, you can see it from quite a ways around. Are they, re- are they seeing the light of Christ in us? Are, are we elevated so that they can see Christ in us? So that the word of God comes forth from our mouth as we talk to people, as we interact with people, as we relate to them? It's my challenge to you tonight. This church cannot accomplish the ministry God has called each and every one of us to, to collectively, unless we go on mission together. Together, as a body, united, to storm this city with God's word, to encourage one another. You see, you're a vital part of what God wants to do right here at Lakeside. So vital. He wants to see his kingdom advanced for his glory to fill the earth. And it's up to you and I. This is the most humbling thing in the world that the God of the universe, the one who spoke, called everything into existence, said, hey, I want you, little speck, among this massive universe, I want you to be responsible for taking my word to someone else so that they will worship me. How humbling is that? To think about it. So whatever area of ministry you've been given by God, um, We need you to sell out for that. Sell out. It's it's amazing what we will sell out for. I mean, we'll go Super Bowls this Sunday. And and I know John's a big Denver fan, so we will go crazy over our football team or whatever it is that excites you. That's what God wants us to do for him. To make him look good. To make him look like he is infinitely valuable. Well, we've discussed these men and what they have done in the Lord. And I believe it's a reminder to each and every one of us of our responsibility within the church as a whole. To be engaged in faithful service. Not just when you want to and how you want to and where you want to, but what's needed. Say, I'm willing to serve wherever the church needs me, even if it's not my area. And do it unto the Lord. Not for people. Secondly, we're to be encouraging one another. Come alongside each other. And love. Someone's down. Go buy them an ice cream. Even if it is 20 degrees outside. Go hang out. Go do life together. Encourage and lift one another up in the Lord. And that's, what, that's what we need, church. We've got to, we can't do this on our own. We need each other to live the Christian life.
Thirdly, devote yourself to praying. I, I just want to really encourage you in this. The leadership of this church needs your prayers. I've never been to one elder, deacon, any of those meetings, but I know they need your prayers. And they covet your prayers. They should be men that we are praying for every single day. You need their prayers. You need them praying over you. You need them desiring that God would grab you and just you strap in and be ready to be sanctified. That's what you need your elders praying for. We need to devote ourselves to praying for one another so that we would see each and every one that on that last day standing before God completely mature. That's, what, that's, that's really what we need. As many other things as what we say we need, we need that. We need praying for, to be praying for each other. If you want to see those that are sitting next to you, um, those in churches around the world, to stand before Christ holy and blameless and beyond reproach, start praying. We've just read through a list of men who did what it took to see God's mission accomplished in his church in much harsher conditions than what you and I will ever experience. My question to us tonight as the body of Christ is, are we doing our part to complete, to fulfill the ministry? In verse 17, put your name. Randy, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. Mike, Michelle, Tyler, whoever. Put your name there. See that you fulfill the ministry. Put your name in that spot right there. Ralph, see that you fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given to you. Whatever that may be. We've been given examples here. Now it's our part to go fulfill our responsibility for the gospel to be extended to the ends of the earth. And if you're not contributing to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in this church, if you remember here, we all have a part. No one part is more important than the other. No one should ever say, well, they don't need me. Because we're one body, according to Scripture. And the body is made up of many members. And every member must function together to accomplish the task of me walking across the stage. In order for us to complete the task that God has given to this church, the vision that God has laid upon the elders of this church for us to accomplish, it takes each and every one of us doing our part. Because that's what God's called us to. And so everyone is vitally important to the mission. And we have to be completely devoted to it. 100%. So if you're not involved in ministry in some capacity, 
Um, I'm asking you tonight to join up with everybody else that's already moving forward in ministry here at this church. Join up and let's go on mission together with God to accomplish his purposes for our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray tonight that, um, that your word has pierced our hearts. And Lord, that if, if I've said anything in error, that it would fall on deaf ears tonight, God, but that you would be exalted. I pray, God, that this church would be stirred up. God, that we would not be satisfied with just occupying a chair. That we would not be satisfied with just, uh, just a simple lifestyle of living our lives in isolation from the world, but that, God, that we would be excited to get involved in the lives of others and encourage and pray and fulfill the mission that you have called us to. God, I pray that our hearts would be set ablaze tonight for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.